0: Well, we can turn back to the chapter we read there, Matthew chapter 15, and we can read again verses 21 to 28. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, Son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Here in this um, incident, Jesus and his disciples are having some kind of break. They've gone away up north out of israel to the regions of tyre and sidon <coughs> indeed mark and in his account of this incident tells us that jesus had arranged for a house to be um, for them to stay in so there no doubt the disciples were looking forward to this uh, break with jesus and they would have assumed, no doubt, that being away up outside of Israel, nobody would disturb them. And they would have Jesus to themselves. And we can understand that desire, can't we? A few days away with Jesus, what more could a person want? Matthew, he's uh, only one of the disciples that records this incident, and um, although Mark also mentions it. But of course, Matthew was there. I wonder what Matthew felt as he was writing it. Because although Matthew's words, At the occasion, not actually recorded, we are told the gist of what he said. Because Matthew was one of the disciples who said, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. I wonder what Matthew thought as he was writing this. Would he recall that? Response with a degree of pride? Or would he be very embarrassed that this had been his response? Anyway, here they are. And of course, this woman, she is, the description of Jesus made of her has become a kind of well known one liner. She's a person of great faith. We might not have thought so, given her background and so on. But Jesus' description of her has become one that everyone who is a believer should aspire to. I suppose it is worth asking ourselves at the start of the service, What does God think of our faith? Would Jesus say to us, Great is your faith? So just like us to think about this lady's experience today. Just like to think about it under five headings. Providence The thing we can't escape, providence. Then problems, something else we can't escape either, usually happen. And then there's her persistence, not always happening. And then her problems increase. Instead of having one problem, she has problems. And that can be a common experience too, can't it? And then, lastly, her petition. So I just want to think about these things. Providence. Well, there she is in Sidon. Can't tell you if anything important ever happens in Sidon or Tyre for that matter. Their days of glory are long in the past. Like everywhere else, they're now just uh, part of the Roman Empire. And there may or may not be the case that an important person came there. Maybe politicians came. Maybe. People famous for other reasons came. But one day, Jesus came. Now this, um, you know, important people come to Inverness. Maybe royalty come. And we might go and stand on the (laughs) streets waving our little flags. Or we might not bother. All kinds of other important people might come. Politicians. And again we might go and see them or again we might not. But if we had something wrong with us and the one person in the world who could deal with it came to Inverness, what would we do in that situation? If we were really desperate to get an answer, to get a cure, what would we do if the person who could deal with it, the only person in the world, suddenly appeared? I think we would do what this woman did, wouldn't we? Because after all, Jesus was famous for sorting the problem that our daughter had. Her daughter's problem, as we're told there was, in some way she was suppressed by a a demon. The powers of darkness had affected her in some way. But Jesus was famous for being able to deal with people with that problem. And here he is, he's come in God's providence, right to where she is. And if someone like that came to us, we had a problem. Surely, we would go and do something about it. Providentially, of course, the biggest problem seemed to be the twelve men with Jesus. They looked like a kind of bodyguard. A set of men positioned there to make sure that nobody could get near him. I mean, that's what it looked like. It looked like as if the biggest barrier in God's providence to her getting help were those with Jesus. I wonder how often that happens. But anyway, here they were in God's providence. It just happened. She didn't arrange it. She had no power to force Jesus to come to her place. But there he is. He's arrived. And she decides to use her providence. And you know, we don't have anything else we can use. It may sound absurd. But the only thing we can ever use is providence. Providence providence just means whatever God is doing at the moment. That is providence, isn't it? Whatever God is doing at the moment, and it's the only thing we can ever use. We can't change providence. This woman probably didn't want to change her providence on this particular day. But somebody else might have, but they couldn't change it. Providence is providence. What God has planned for today will happen today. Nothing can change it. It's the only thing we can ever use. And this woman, well, she resolves to use it. What a wise woman. She decided to use the providence she currently had. That leads us to think, secondly, of her problem. And what was her problem? Well, her problem was her nationality. She was a Canaanite. Who were were the Canaanites? Well, the Canaanites were the people that God told Israel to, to remove from the land when they went into it centuries before under Joshua. And God made it quite clear to them that whoever else had to be put out of the land, the Canaanites certainly had to be put out. Her ethnicity made her an outcast. it was specifically stated Canaanites should not expect to be blessed by God. Instead, the opposite was to happen. And there were reasons for that, of course. Um, If you want to read in history and see the way Canaanites behaved, you're not too surprised that they were earned God's disapproval. But anyway... That was her problem. She was, a, a, she was an ethnic outcast, we might say. And it had been going on for centuries. I forget how many years had passed since Joshua had invaded the Promised Land, but it's way over a thousand years. And she belongs to a people who have been outcasts for a thousand years. <clears throat> How many Canaanites had been blessed by God? Well, a couple were in the days of Elisha and Elijah. But in the main, there's no much record of it ever happening. So she had a real problem there, didn't she? She had a problem with her daughter, her daughter's issue. But she had a problem with the fact that she belonged to a race that were outcasts. Yet, the extraordinary thing is, well, she couldn't go to him because she's banished from Canaan. Rather, unexpectedly, he has come to her. Well, he's come to her location, and there he is walking about. He's not trying to hide himself. He's walking about. And I suppose even in that, there's a kind of illustration of Jesus' life. He he came to the place where the outcasts live. Didn't he? Is Is that not the story of his life? I mean, this poor woman of Canaan she was, um, we might say, suffering the long-term consequences of her ancestors' sins. But we, we're suffering the consequences of our own sins. And we are outside God's kingdom by nature. And there's no way for us to get to God's kingdom By ourselves, there's no ladder long enough for us to climb. But the extraordinary thing is, as we know, is that Jesus came to the outcasts, to a world of outcasts. That's the whole point of his mission. He never came to help anybody who wasn't an outcast. The only ones he did help were the outcasts. Even in his little journey here to to Sidon, we see a picture of his mission, that he came to help those who had no hope, who were lost, who were under God's judgment, who were facing a dark future. he came right to where they were and lived among us and showed to us that God wanted to bless us and did that didn't he by walking around speaking to people and then going to the cross and dying there and paying the penalty for sin But anyway there's this woman with this horrendous burden and Jesus is there if we were there what two and two would we put together we'd know what she did but as we think of this woman and we just mentioned her Ancestry. And the fact that they are her ancestors, her nation, however big they were, that they are now living in this location in the north of uh, modern-day Lebanon. What does that tell us about the God of history? You know, 1,200 years before this, Her people had been made to move to this part of the world. What's God doing? What's he preparing for? What's he arranging? What's his long-term strategy? Well, whether we realize it or not, Her ancestors were put where they were so that centuries later she would meet Jesus. Isn't that extraordinary? Her ancestors were put where they were so that centuries later she would meet Jesus. Why did our ancestors come to our country? Whoever, whichever group we're particularly descended from, none of them were Christians. Whenever these people movements occurred long ago in the past, and the people from whom we are descended came to this country. They had no concept of God. But the extraordinary thing is the God of history had a plan. And the God of history's plan was that people like you and me in this particular place the descendants of these unknown people that here we would hear the gospel that here we would meet Jesus Isn't that incredible? God was working so that people like you and me would be in a location where the gospel would come to our ears and where we could be embraced by the Savior. God didn't start thinking about you the day you were born. His his eye was on you all the way along, even when your ancestors had never heard of him. What do we say to him about that? That was her problem. An ethnic outcast. But we can see that um, she was marked by persistence. It's, little words are very important and when somebody says to behold something that means that that is something to notice I don't know if we noticed the word behold in the verse that we were reading because when I Matthew says there and behold. Who is he telling to behold? He's not, he's not telling the people that were around at the time the woman did this. He's telling his readers that they're to behold it, that they're to stop. Something's happening here it's totally unexpected. Behold, a woman from the region came out and was crying. (coughs) Doesn't mean she was weeping, it means she was shouting. And it's an imperfect tense. She didn't just say it once. She said it numerous times. She was determined to be heard she had to persist not because Jesus was deaf Jesus heard her the first time but persistence was part of the normal christian life we have to persist in everything we have to persist in our profession And we've also got to persist in our prayers. I'm not sure we always think that. At least speaking for myself. It's a very simple test for that. All I have to do is ask myself, how many prayers have I not persisted in? I mean, that is a question, isn't it? how many prayers have I not persisted in? And that tells me, and I suspect it also tells you, that persistence in prayer is not something we've really taken hold of. No doubt you've heard this before, but whenever we want to talk about prayer, we'll just go and talk about George Mueller. After all, he just knocked at the door of heaven and got an answer, didn't he? Well, most of the time. But then, if you're praying for tomorrow's breakfast, you do have to get it pretty quick and there's hundreds of children waiting to be fed. But you know, as I said, you probably know this, but George Muller, when he was a young man, agreed to pray for for five sons of some of his friends, to pray for their conversion. Two of them were converted pretty quick. That was a kind of normal response to George Muller's prayers. The third one was converted a few years later. Two of them were converted after he died. Muller lived to be in his 90s. He started praying for them in his 30s. 60 years he just prayed, and prayed, and prayed. Persistence pays off. I'm sure these two men who were then converted would now be in their 70s. They would be glad that Muller prayed. This lady's prayer, her persistence, What would you have prayed to about God with, with her problem? What would I have prayed to her about her problem? There she is, oppressed by a, a power far bigger than her. You know what I'd have prayed for? I'd have asked God to show his power and liberate this girl. After all, that's what she needed, isn't it? Power. Lord, show your great power and free this girl. But that's not what she prayed for, does it? She didn't say, Lord, display your power for me. Instead, she prayed, have mercy on me. You know, you can pray for power and not get mercy, but you can't pray for mercy and not get power. Isn't it extraordinary that? And God does pay attention to what we say. I mean, Whatever else we say about this woman's petitions, yeah, she actually thought about it. She didn't just walk out into the street and say it and utter the first words that came into her head. It's a very precise prayer she has. <clears throat> Have mercy on me, O Lord, Son of David. Then she appealed to his mercy. <clears throat> what's the difference? What's the difference between praying for mercy and praying for power? I think mercies an appeal to God's heart. Go straight to his heart. His tender mercies are above all his other works. And I think there's a lesson in this woman's petition. Pray for mercy. And you get plenty other things with it. She also recognized who Jesus was. This is quite extraordinary. How does she know all this about him? Son of David. What does she mean by that? <coughs> well, it just means she recognized he was the Messiah. But what could the Messiah do for her? After all, she's an outcast. Well, maybe it's just imagination. But perhaps she heard about what Isaiah said would happen to the Gentiles when the Messiah would come. Because the message was given through Isaiah that when the Messiah came, in him the Gentiles would trust. That's what the Messiah meant to her, a Gentile. She could trust in him. I mean, what a wealth of information is given about Jesus and the title Son of David, but what a wealth of information is given about her. She recognizes who he is. I can trust in him, although I'm an outcast. Her trust is going to be tested by the one she's trusting in. But still, she recognizes he's the son of David. <clears throat> she also recognizes he's divine. Oh, Lord! She lived in a community where people engaged in idolatry, where there was nothing but idols Look around her, and all her neighbors' houses, there's their idols. But she's aware that there's one true God. And he lives in Israel. And here he is, walking down my street. So she cries out, O Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. We could say, as she kept shouting out this prayer, That her heart was like a quiver full of arrows that she fired straight at the heart of Jesus. How's our persistence? Is our heart a quiver full of arrows that goes straight to the heart of the Lord? Or do we give up? because he doesn't answer at the time we stipulate. So she persisted. But, if anything, her problems get worse. And looks so as she's got three features of her problems getting worse. The first one is, the silence of the savior what an extraordinary statement to say about the eternal word but he did not answer her a word this wasn't his normal method of course was it i mean when he went to when he came across the other pagan woman that whose story is recorded in John chapter 4 the women of Samaria and the Samaritans were just as much pagans as the Sidonians because the Samaritans were a people that had been moved into that area by the Assyrians Samaritans are not half-Israelites they're as much on the outside as Sidonians were but when Jesus meets the woman at Sychar, he has a long conversation with her and tells her, <clears throat> I am the Messiah. He's got plenty to say to her. And then when he meets the Gentile man who lived in Gadara, who we are told about him, that he had a thousand demons inside him. Jesus initiated the conversation, spoke to him, and dismissed a thousand with a word. But here comes one woman who's as much an outsider as the other two but whose problems is a thousand times less than the man in Gadara. But Jesus hasn't got a word to say to him. Does the silence of Jesus ever puzzle you? It looks here as if the silence of Jesus encouraged the disciples to speak. Because they came up with what was the second problem that she had to cope with. I mean, if they'd been a bit more pious, maybe the disciples should have said to Jesus, Answer her prayer so she'll stop pestering us. But that's not what they said. Instead they just said, send her away so that she'll stop pestering us. What kind of encouragement was that to this woman? To hear this disciple saying about her, she's basically a pest to us. Send her away. ever said to God to take a person away? Someone that's a bit problematic. Maybe think somebody else would be more competent with them. And then on top of that, Jesus eventually speaks and the truth that he speaks Is not very encouraging, is it? Imagine hearing Jesus saying to somebody who's asking for his help, a Sidonian, saying to her, at least in her hearing, I am only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It's bad enough. Get in silence. And it's bad enough getting disciples asking that you be sent away. But what would they have, what would she have thought when she heard this truth? And we would be silly not to imagine that there's not discouraging truths in the Bible. I mean, sometimes there are things that go, seem to go straight against what we want. And this poor woman, she heard one. So she's got the silence of Jesus to cope with. She's got the indifference of the disciples to cope with. And then she's got the words of Jesus to cope with. What do you do if God is silent? What do we think when we're singing Psalm 40? I waited patiently for the Lord my God. What image goes through our minds when we sing that? I think goes through our minds sometimes, is waiting serenely, because patience now is a kind of virtue, but that's not what the psalm means. It's not I am waiting serenely, I'm waiting with perseverance. until you take me out of this mire that I am in. And the psalmist there in Psalm 40 is basically saying to God, I'm not going to stop praying until you answer. And whatever the discouragement, I'm going to keep going. And how about the psalmist in Psalm 28? To you, O Lord, I call, my rock, be not deaf to me, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit, hear the voice of my pleas for mercy. It's almost as if the woman had written the psalm, it was actually David. But there she is crying for mercy and God is silent. Things seem to be getting more and more difficult. So what does she do to get her petition answered? Well, she changes her position. Maybe she said to herself, This is just a guess, of course. Maybe she said to herself, it's very inappropriate for me to go along the road shouting at Jesus. Maybe there's a better position I can take. As I say, that's just a suggestion. But she changed her position and she came and knelt before him. we could imagine her singing it was down at the feet of Jesus for the happy, happy day it's a good place to be at the feet of Jesus, isn't it? ask Mary of Bethany Mary Magdalene or the woman that anointed him with her her tears and dried her feet with her hair, or the leper. Sometimes it does help to change her position. She moved from being someone who was shouting instructions, although in the point of petition. To kneeling at his feet. It's good to humble ourselves, especially when we're praying. She not only changed her position, but she changed her petition. Instead of her prayer becoming longer, it became shorter. It was quite short to begin with, but it just came down to three words. Lord, help me. I don't know how often she prayed that one. Maybe only once, who knows. But the extraordinary thing about this new petition Um, from this new position is that Jesus answered her. And he said to her, it might sound cruel what he said to her, but it's actually not. He said to her, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. One word in that statement that opened her mind It's the word dogs. There's two words in Hebrew for dogs. One word describes the wild dogs. It's not the word that's here. The word here is pet dogs, little dogs, little dogs that sat under the tables of families, perhaps her daughter had a little dog, who knows, anyway, that word dogs, it opened up her mind. And she just said yes Lord even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. She's just saying to Jesus isn't she I'm happy to be a pet dog who gets a crumb. She's also saying something else. She's saying, if you heal my daughter, it's the equivalent of a crumb. Just a very small sample of the great things you can do. And Jesus responded to her, woman, Great is your faith. She took her opportunity. Jesus only there for a few days. She persevered. <laughs> kept going, although people put discouragements in her way. And she listened very closely to what Jesus said. And she just noticed dogs. As we close, there's a couple of applications. What does Jesus want to see from us today, and tomorrow, and Tuesday, and Wednesday? And every day afterwards, he wants to see the strength of our faith. That's what he wants to see. And what we're prepared to do to show we have faith. This woman showed what she was prepared to do. Jesus strengthens. Jesus looks for the strength of our faith. The disciples. They didn't show much strength of faith, did they? Second lesson from this, of course, is don't be surprised at silences. Don't be surprised at silences from heaven. It's quite normal. I mean, There's one way of God testing us. We might like to have I suppose heavenly caresses all the way to glory. But sometimes what we get is heavenly silences. And each one of them is heavenly. This woman reacted to silence by speaking. She reacted to the silent Savior by speaking to him. And that's how we react to the silent God. Third lesson is that Jesus has his people in unexpected places. Who'd have thought there was a believer living in Sidon, All by herself. But there she is. For all we know, maybe she had prayed that Jesus would come to Sidon I mean who knows but there she is all by herself we should never be surprised at where God's people are we can be walking past them and just because somehow or other we haven't discovered them doesn't mean they're not there in the darkest of places, there can be real diamonds. The last lesson is, even God's crumbs are great in size. What crumbs she got. What crumbs we've been given. It's good to pray for crumbs because it all depends who makes them, doesn't it? Shall we pray?